beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 KPFK, serving all of Southern California from Los Angeles. Great to be with you again today. Hope you're joining us every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock for the Ageless Wisdom Show. We're going to talk about personal and spiritual development today, or personal and transpersonal development, if you wish. We have a guest who I will introduce to you in a few minutes. She describes herself as a self-educator. What's a self-educator? She'll explain it, but in a sense, it goes beyond self-help to learning to teach yourself, to educate yourself, not just help yourself, but to educate yourself. In what areas? Well, primarily about yourself, your uniqueness, your authenticity, your individuality, a topic that scares a lot of people because they may not even be aware of it, but a little afraid, or in some cases very afraid, that they'll find out all their fears are justified, that they really are inadequate or, or not good enough or not deserving of success and happiness and, and prosperity. But I'd like to open today with a brief commentary about conspiracy theories. This is something I haven't talked about in quite a while. Why so many of our friends, and maybe you, find conspiracy theories appealing. What is a conspiracy theory? First of all, you know, one person's conspiracy theory is another person's search for truth. And in the past five years, there's been a surge of interest in conspiracy theories, particularly around the COVID pandemic, vaccinations, not to mention the election last November, and of course the whole QAnon phenomena, which is sort of a hub where all conspiracy theories tend to come together into one grand conspiracy theory. Everybody's out to get you. You cannot trust any institution. <laughs> well, there is widespread corruption in institutions, but there are many reasons for that. A lot of it is just the result of people working in bureaucracies who are demoralized. They don't like their jobs. They don't see any benefit in doing what they're doing. They're tied up in red tape. They have little control, and they don't see that they're having any kind of positive impact on the world. And then, of course, there's the whole idea of the financial gain that is often available to people at the top of these institutions, those who find themselves in a position to embezzle or, or con or, or make a lot of money. But generally, I think what fuels a conspiracy theory is a lack of critical thinking. And another way of saying that same thing is an inappropriate over-reliance on Instinct and intuition. So first of all, I want to talk about the difference between instinct and intuition, because they're really polarities. 
they're both part of what we call a gut feeling, but instinct is closer to the gut, while intuition is a little more heart-centered. Instinct lives at the base of the spine, in the root chakra, the sacral center. It's fear-based, it's existential, it's the fight-or-flight response. Instinct tells us what to avoid. Run away. Uh, the herd mentality, the mob mentality, for that matter. Whereas intuition is more heart-centered. If instinct is oh-no, then intuition is oh-boy. It's love-based, it's passionate, it's positive, it's what to move toward. Those two words, instinct and intuition, are often used interchangeably, but they're quite opposite in nature. Instinct is what to avoid. Intuition is what to move toward. Instinct is a fear. Intuition is a passion, a positive passion. And these are the only two motivators, love and fear. It's emotions that drive thoughts into action. Many people will take action out of a strong emotional feeling, but if there's little thought involved in tempering those emotions, you may take action, but you never really know what you're going to end up doing. On the other hand, you may have a great idea, but if you don't care about it, if there's no enthusiasm or, or passion, nothing happens. The idea just sits there. So we need both critical thinking and strong, heartfelt passions to create positive outcomes. Drawing upon instinct and avoiding what you do not want is not a goal. and may have benefits in the short term, avoiding horrible consequences. Again, it is a survival reflex. But in the long term, fear and fear-based emotions like anger and hostility, vengeance, hatred, greed, do not create lasting happiness, success, or fulfillment. So we need to deliberately create safe and relaxed states if we are to promote an awareness of our intuition. And though we could argue that instinct tells us about the danger, it really is about your reaction to the perception of danger, real or imagined. It doesn't really tell you very much about what is frightening you, or who it is that made you angry, or some event or circumstance that upset you. Though we obsess on the stimulus as if our anger-based hurt and heartache and frustration is going to tell us about the person or the, the group or the event that made us feel that way, it doesn't. It, it's really only a reflection of you. And that's even more true when it comes to intuition. The oh boy, the enthusiasm of that's what I want. Here we go. We're going to set that goal. We're going to move toward that dream and create the outcome that we want to create. Still, that's a reflection of you in that dream. In other words, your emotions are 90% or more about you. They tell you very little, if anything, about the outside world. Thoughts, on the other hand, tell you very little about yourself. If you judge yourself, if you're critical of yourself, you just hold yourself back. You tear yourself down. Those voices, those 
those intrusive voices in your head that are so often filled with negativity and fear of what you can't have and shouldn't do and mistakes you made in the past and why you'll never be successful. And if you were accidentally successful, well, you'd probably screw it up anyway. No, your emotional nature is for understanding yourself, not the world. Your mental nature is for understanding the world around you and tells you very little about yourself. People who believe in conspiracy theories, who find the very idea of conspiracies to be appealing are people who are not thinking critically. They're using their emotional nature. They may call it intuition, but it's more instinctual to understand the outer world. Now, 15 years ago, Stephen Colbert, when he was doing the old show, coined a term that I, <laughs> I've loved ever since. I think it's so revealing. The term is truthiness. And the definition that Colbert gave this word, truthiness, is something that's real because it feels like it ought to be. <laughs> something that's real only because you feel like it ought to be, or it could be, or that's, yeah, that's probably what's really going on. Do you have any evidence for that? Well, no, I'm not a critical thinker. I don't use thoughts and facts and truth and evidence to understand the world around me, I use my emotions because it's way too scary to understand myself. So I'll use my emotional feelings, mostly my fear, mostly my gut instinct, to believe that the world is a terrifying place. To give way to these animal-based feelings of, look out, watch out, there's always a danger around the corner. You never know who's going to come and get you. You're basically abandoning logic rational, analytical reasoning for the survival instinct of the brain's amygdala, which is an ancient structure. It lives in the limbic brain, the so-called lizard brain at the base of the spine. I mean, dinosaurs had amygdalas. Toads and lizards and frogs have amygdala. It's the reflex, the survival response. You reach for a frog and it leaps, you know, the the lizard darts behind the rock before you could grab it, and it doesn't decide to do that. It's a reflex. Well, anytime you're in real danger, that's a good thing. Let that animal nature cause you to act reflexively. If you're in real danger, but come on, let's face it, that's pretty rare. One of the primary reasons that humans in the Neolithic era began to form communities was for self-protection, and the world's gotten safer and safer and safer. Now, if you watch a lot of television news or spend too much time on the Internet reading Facebook and Twitter, you might be confused about this. But again, if you did a little critical research, did some study, or better said, just read the studies that have already been done by professionals, you'll find that the world is getting safer and safer and safer in spite of what you may hear in the news. Because there's a dollar to be made by scaring the bejesus out of you, right? So the reason I'm telling you this is if you have someone in your family or one of your friends believes in a conspiracy theory and they're pointing at Facebook and Twitter and showing you videos on YouTube of their so-called evidence, 
You could try explaining the difference between an anecdote and a study or research that is statistically significant because you're drawing upon thousands and thousands of cases, not simply the one or two that fit your preconceived idea. But again, that's a matter of reasoning. And that may not be appealing to somebody who's motivated purely by feelings in their belly that are fearful and using that fear to understand the world. Instead, you need to address the fear. And the antidote, of course, to fear, which is a function of unawareness, confusion, uncertainty, and frankly, ignorance. I don't mean a lack of a capacity to understand, just not having access to the information. And acknowledge that. Say, I know the world is confusing. And I understand, too, how it feels to be out of control and confused and and lied to. I've had many of those experiences myself. But if we really want to understand that which is outside of us, we need to use our brain. We need to think critically. We need to do our own research or study the research that's already been done based on a sampling that is significant statistically, based on, on thousands and thousands of situations or, or individuals, whatever the case may be. Look for the truth based in facts. That's what science does. Science is true whether you believe it or not. It doesn't matter how you feel about, about the science. It's verifiable. It can be validated This is what the scientific method is, right? You repeat the experiment over and over and over again. People who believe in conspiracy theories, because they rely on their feelings, because they live through their fear and their gut instinct, not their intuition, their instinct, find themselves having to avoid the facts, to avoid the truth, because it'll strip away the only thing they know, the false comfort and security of being in a group, almost a cult, of others who share that same fear, that you have no power, that you're always being lied to, that all institutions are thoroughly corrupt, and there's this big cabal, this big institution of satanic-worshipping cannibals who rule the world, from the Queen of England to Tom Hanks. And you say, that's so ridiculous, how could anybody, how could anybody believe that? Because they rely on their fear, call it intuition, but it's just an animal reflex, it's an instinct to understand the world around them. When your emotions, instinct and intuition, tell you about yourself, it's the mental nature, it's logic and analysis and reasoning that we must use critically to understand the world around us and verify and validate by repeated testing. So consider that. The truth is, you are what you care about and the very fact that you care. That's who you are. You are not what you think of yourself. Reflect on that. And we'll be back with today's guest right after this short break. This is Michael Benner, and you're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 FM, KPFK in Los Angeles. 
KPFK is pleased to be a co-sponsor of the NoHo Home Alliance annual Sleep Out fundraiser, taking place on Saturday, October 2nd at 7 p.m. The NoHo Home Alliance is a community-based response to support homeless folks in the East Valley with housing, health care, safe parking, advocacy, and more. You may watch the event online at nohohome.org or social distance in person to see the local comedians and musical acts. For more information, visit nohohome.org or kpfk.org. It's the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on your radio at 90.7 FM. This is KPFK for all of Southern California from Santa Barbara to San Diego. Of course, we live stream for the world and we're podcast to your favorite podcatcher. My guest today is a self-educator. Now, that's a new term for me. I think I know what it means, but I've invited her to join us today to tell us a little more about what that means, a self-educator. I know it's about personal development and personal growth, but it's got spiritual development overtones to it, and that's part of what I like about uh, this woman I'm about to introduce to us is that she's very eclectic. She draws on many sources. Her whole approach to personal and spiritual development, I think, is to knit together these many sources into one unique approach to understanding who we are, to the self-discovery side of it, and then putting that into practice, growing yourself. And uh, each of us is unique, so how do we do that? My guest is Monica Ortiz. And Monica, good afternoon, and welcome to the radio. Hi, Michael. How are you? Oh, I'm wonderful. It's very, very nice to meet you. I found you on LinkedIn, and we had so many mutual friends. And I mean not just social media friends. I mean real <laughs> real friends. Yes. Is that uh, I waded more deeply into the material about you and thought, well, Monica sounds like a great guest. One of the things that intrigues me about you, Monica, and I already mentioned it, is your background, your ethnicity, uh, your parenting. It's really multicultural, and that seems to be an important part of how you source uh, the material that you provide people. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So um, just thank you, Michael, for, for inviting me onto your show. I really appreciate um, you reaching out and being so curious because you are so curious. So I think that's super wonderful. Um, so my, my ethnicity, so I'm nine ethnicities. Growing up, I thought, I believed I was about five. And then my mom was so curious about uh, genealogy and, and DNA. She has a medical background that I took the uh, National Geographic Geno 2.0 test and then bought her as a birthday present the same thing so she'd get her DNA tested and found out I was nine ethnicities. And I found that really interesting because, you know, while we don't think of it uh, consciously, things that we do, you know, kind of little behaviorals that we have that are innate pop up through our DNA. And so things that I was, like, drawn to, pulled to, um, once the DNA results came back, I was like, oh, that's why. 
that's why this weird thing is happening, you know, or, or I'm just attracted to that. Um, it pulls towards epigenetics. So yeah, I grew up with a Native American and French grandfather. And so that was mostly what I believed I was and got a lot of teachings from him. He was very big in our community. A lot of people came to him for help and, and advice. So I got to grow up watching that and not understanding why so many people were coming and bringing my grandpa stuff. <laughs> so, Cause that's part of the native culture. You know, you don't bring money, you bring a gift, um, you know, and sometimes he'd some gentleman would show up with the, you know, my wife cooked you this chicken, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. So, so that was really uh, amazing for me to see just how many people really respected him. Um, and he walked silently um, and taught me how to do that. So sometimes I walk into a room if people don't notice me and that's okay. And sometimes I walk into a room and shake the room. So, and that's okay. So your mother's career is Western science yes. and her father or your grandfather on the other side is part Native American. So you're pulling on both of these traditions and then some. Yes. How, do you, how, do you, how do you as a young woman begin to integrate that into your desire to help people? Well, that's a great question because where my grandfather was very much of the Native American side, oh, your stomach hurts, here, let me give you this herb, um, and then let me plant you a plant in your backyard. So if you have a stomach ache again, you can, you know, pull for it, I'm going to teach you how to, how to make it. My mom was very much from Western medicine and of the mindset of Western medicine, and so she was very much like, okay, take a pill, <laughs> take a pill, give, your, give yourself a pill, don't take that herb, it's not going to work fast enough. But because I, what I just said, watched all these people come to my grandfather for advice, I really learned that respect for him. Not that I didn't respect my mom, a lot of the knowledge she had was really good knowledge, she was in neurology. Um, and the doctors in her hospital, you know, we hear all these conversations at dinner, at the dinner table, uh, respected her very much so. She wore a pager for years. So I also remember my mom getting paged in the middle of the night and having to run to the hospital. You know, seeing those two sides of medicine, one being the Native American healing that people respected, one being the Western medicine that people respected, it was really challenging for me because I'm of the very curious mindset. I need information and I need good information. And so I did a lot of delving into the studies of the Native American side and I did a lot of delving into the studies of the Western medicine side because my mom would challenge me constantly. Um, so what I found, what I discovered through, through much research is people are people and healing is not one size fits all. And while we all have a DNA strand, our DNA is not the same. Our mindset is not the same. Two people can have trauma in their life, the same trauma. Let's say have physical abuse growing up in their household. But based on their learnings, they're going to handle that abuse differently. And therefore, the healing has to be different. And so if you go to a shrink or psychologist or any doctor and they're saying, because I've been through this with clients, my doctor said this. It, it's not the same. You can't treat it as the same. 
you have to really learn that person, learn their story, learn the trauma, learn their learnings to be able to unravel all of that and help them. Yeah, I think anybody that works with people, uh, whether they're healers or teachers or counselors or guides of some sort, sooner or later begins to marvel at just how unique everyone is. Yes. And, of course, we have a lot in common. There's no question that, you know, we all bleed. We all know what it feels like to have a broken heart. Yeah. We all, we, we all grieve. But um, there is that unique side, too. We're all watching different movies, it seems. And reacting different to them. So, yeah. so what you said, like we're all human. Absolutely. I've been, I've been saying that for years. Let's, for, you know, we need to throw, and I know this is going to be groundbreaking uh, or ground shaking. Uh, we need to throw race out the window. We're all one race. We have different ethnicity, most definitely different cultures, but we're all one race. It's the human race. And so we all, as human beings, want the same things. We all want love, right? We all want happiness. We all want success in our careers. But my want of love may be different than your want of love. My, my idea of success may be different than your idea of success. My idea of good health may be different than your idea of good health. And we have to understand that about each other. I find that many people are afraid to know themselves for fear they're going to discover that they really are inadequate or bad or wrong, as perhaps they were told as children, mm -hmm. either by dysfunctional parents or bullying by peers or siblings or yeah. for whatever reason. It's like self-exploration is... Uh, produces anxiety in a lot of people. And then others, like you and me, are absolutely fascinated. We can't get enough of this exploration of who we are as individuals. And then the way we see other people is informed by what we know about ourselves. I think they call that empathy, right? Yep, exactly. Well, it's the it's the fear of failure. It's the fear of falling down. And so when you remove that fear... You know, there are, I always, I always say, my parents really like stuck it to me with my name. They gave me the most generic name, Monica Ortiz. So boring. And there's like 20,000 other Monica Ortiz's out there. I mean, it's re it was really hard in the beginning to Google my name um, because so many other Monica Ortiz's would pop up. Um, so I always said that if my parents were to give me a middle name, I would choose Adventure. You know, Monica Adventure Ortiz. That would be my middle name. And it's because I learned from a really young age, uh, failure is part of life. And you just pick yourself back up. And failure does not define you. And that's something I tell all of my clients. Failure is not your defining factor. It's how you get up. You know, how you have the strength to get back up. I think it's a Japanese proverb that goes simply, fall down seven, stand up eight. Yeah, you just keep getting back up. You dust your bum off, you know, you band-aid any bruises, any cuts that you may have, rub out any bruises, and you just re you just stop for a moment, practice the mindfulness, stop, breathe, look at why you fell down. 
look at what caused the fall, and then learn from that. You evolve from that. Well, that's the secret. You have to learn from the mistake. Mm-hmm. Yep. Otherwise, you feel you're stuck in making this same mistake over and over or often feel like you're a victim of some circumstance beyond your control. But, uh, yeah, the whole point of adversity is to learn, right? Yes, absolutely. And I want to address what you just said regarding being a victim. So victim mentality, victim mindset, I've seen in the past decade, it overwhelmed the United States where there was victim mentality before, absolutely. But it's so in the forefront now. And when I work with my clients, and again, this is something that I learned very early in life from my mother, to not delve into victim mindset because, you know, we're Native American. And my grandfather never let that stop him. You know, he only got a third grade education. He was raised on a ranch. So third grade was all they went to. And then it was expected that they work the ranch, (laughs) you know, if they were lucky, third grade was what you got, you know, but that did not stop him. He learned, started his own little, I shouldn't say little, that's too many, uh, an an import export business. Uh, So he was importing and exporting goods to Mexico. Um, And then he started, he really learned how to work in real estate, you know, buy properties, flip them and or buy properties and have a tenant. And so he did really well for himself. And that's what he taught his children. You fall down, you get back up. You don't let somebody tell you because you're, you know, Native American, uh, that you're not good enough, that you're not intelligent enough, that you're not whatever. We didn't even address it. And so outside of our family. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, we learn really early on not to settle into victim mindset. And so that's one of the things that I teach my clients as well is, um, you know, I'm sorry something happened to you. I'm sorry something bad happened to you. We're going to work it out. We're going to work it out. I'm going to give you the tools to fix it so that if it happens again, because stuff happens over and over, we know that the same traumas happen sometimes over and over. We learn how to a move away from that, move away from the people causing the traumas and or and keep moving forward in our life and how not to slip into victim mindset if it does happen again. You know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I think the idea of abandoning victimization uh, is real important. Uh, now, uh, again, you describe yourself as a self-educator. Yes. So you're an individual who helps people self-educate. Yes. So is this a good place to begin to self-educate? I am not a victim. I am responsible. <laughs> yes. So so I'll tell you where the, the that phrase came from. You know, the self-help world is a trillion-dollar industry, and there's a lot of books out there, a lot of information. And what I found was, uh, while some of it's pretty decent, a lot of it is fluffy. It's to make you feel good. It's There are stories written that you can connect to, that you can say, oh, my gosh, you know, this person went through the same thing I'm going through. You know, and and sometimes once in a while we'll connect in a victim way. I'm there were a victim. I'm a victim. I have a connection to that. So because I felt it was fluffy, some of it, not all of it, 
I decided that I needed to make the materials that I was putting out into the universe more about helping somebody educate themselves, which is self-education. I really wanted to drive the self-help world from self-help to self-education. And that's giving people the, the real tools that they need to put into their tool belt so that they can help themselves along the way. So if something happens, be it you get fired from your job, you're not devastated. You're sad. You're a little taken aback, but it's not devastating. It's not debilitating. You know how to pick yourself and get back up. If your boyfriend, girlfriend, lover breaks up with you, it's sad. You get to mourn that period of time, but you need to learn to pick yourself back up from that. Understand why they broke up with you. Was it something that had to do with you, which you have to own? Or was it really just something that had to do with them, which they have to own and you can't force it on them. They have to figure that out for themselves. You know, I've seen a lot of actors living here in Los Angeles and Hollywood who maybe are slow to realize that their interest in the field is that they're really looking for themselves in these characters. Yes. And I wonder to what extent you believe we do that in our romantic relationships. How many of us are unconsciously in looking for someone to love us looking for a partner, looking for a friend, looking to team up with somebody, really looking for a sounding board or somebody to sort of mirror who we are and help us discover ourselves. Do you think that's a big part of why we do relationships? I think that that's a part of it. The other part of why we find the people we do is because we're trying to fill a hole. And so when I'm working, so I have a course called Relationships Evolved, Forging Bonds at Last. And what I try to do in that course is get people to really understand themselves and understand what they're looking for in love. Is it to fill a hole or is it somebody who compliments you? And so sometimes we reach out into relationships and this is, we all do it. We've all done it. It's because we want somebody to teach us something, what you were just talking about. What can you teach me about me? Now, that may not be super conscious. It may not be on the forefront of your mind. But that's what we may fall into in that relationship. And so when the relationship ends, and this is, you know, again, we fall down or it feels like we've fallen down. um, I really encourage my clients to stop and let's evaluate that relationship. Let's not get on a hamster wheel. Hamster wheels are not good. Okay, we don't want to keep cycling it. That's not healthy. We do want to ask ourselves the right questions so that we can learn what happened in the relationship, what our part was, what their part was, what we can do better next time, how we can rebuild ourselves into a better self. Again, self-education and then build their dream relationship. That dream relationship has to come for yourself first. Let's talk more about that. I have to take a short break, Monica. We'll come right back. We'll talk more about relationships and what we're really looking for. My guest is Monica Ortiz, and we're talking about relationships, but so much more. She's a self-educator that is helping individuals self-educate, not just self-help, but really uh, 
put it in gear and put the pedal to the metal. <laughs> I'm from Detroit, so we have a lot of car analogies, I think. And uh, we'll drive this program a little bit further right after this short break. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 KPFK in Los Angeles. Hi, I'm Laura Flanders. I host a radio show called The Laura Flanders Show, where, as we say, the people who say it can't be done take a back seat to the people who are doing it. At KPFK, we believe in free speech, independent thought, and universal equality, but it isn't free. We bring you information without corporate influence, political spin, or government funding. We give a voice to the voiceless, or at least those whose voices are never heard on other stations. The Laura Flanders Show is all about people making change and connecting with each other. Keep community connected radio alive by making a tax-deductible contribution today at kpfk.org. And we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. This is a program about consciousness. It's about awareness, and in particular, self-awareness. I mean, all awareness ultimately is self-awareness, right? And we say it's fundamental because without awareness, nothing exists. You might say, well, the world's subjective. The moon, it's still there, whether anybody notices it or not, but... If you just take that into your meditation and then consider the variability of awareness or consciousness, how aware are you? What are you missing in that drive to work? Well, does anybody drive to work? We're all telecommuting now or working from home on our computers. But you know what I mean, that drive, that regular drive you take every day. How much of it do you really look at? How much do you really notice? And and when you walk, do you walk just to get to some place? Or are you paying attention of the way your foot feels when it touches the earth and looking around you and actually observing? You know, there, there's such a thing as waking up in the morning and maybe having a cup of coffee to stimulate you a little bit. But just how awake, how aware are we? And so uh, that's what this show's about week after week, and we're fortunate today to have Monica Ortiz with us, and she's talking about the same idea of mindfulness and awareness and understanding who we are in discovering and developing our common humanity, what connects us, but also our DNA, what makes each one of us uh, unique and and marvelous individual. You know, Monica, it occurs to me that we're in a universe that seems to go out of its way to avoid duplication. And we we always hear there's no two snowflakes alike. So why would there be any two cells in our body that are alike or any two individuals who are alike? We ought to be celebrating that, it seems to me. What an adventure just to discover who I am and why I'm here as this unique individual. Maybe, I'm, maybe I've got a place here that no one else can fulfill, you know, something to do that I'm supposed to discover and develop and, and do in the world that nobody else could do for me. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I, I'm going to bring up a point that may be a little strange, but, you know, in social media now, um, people post 
they want to post about their lives. Everybody's looking for attention. Um, and I've noticed that in a few years ago, I noticed this where everybody uses filters, everybody uses filters to change their face, to change their appearance. Uh, if you feel in a little wrinkly that day, you may want to put a filter over your face. It's going to hide the wrinkles. And so a few years ago, I started doing this hashtag no filter. You know, I'm me. I, you know, I told you this morning uh, when we joined the call, hey, I've, I'm not wearing makeup and I don't want to today. <laughs> and I think not being afraid of, like, get out from under the societal expectation of what you should look like, what you should look like. There's no should. There's no should. You're you. Be excited about your face. Be excited about your hair. I have crazy hair. My hair decides for me every day what it's going to do. I don't get to make that choice. You know, I and, and I may cur- blow dry it and curl it and put mousse in it and put hairspray in it. But it's going to say to me literally, no, I'm doing this. Love me as I am. That's a lesson I learned way a long time ago about myself. So, you know, whatever anybody's pushing, marketing's pushing that we should look a certain way, get out from under that. Love yourself. Love your looks. We all offer something different to the universe. Just like you said, we all offer something different. Let's celebrate the different. You know that saying, dance like nobody's watching? Mm -hmm, And I do. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what if we considered that there's no wrong way to dance Mm -hmm. and then extend that into live your life as if it doesn't matter to you what other people think and there's no wrong way to live your life. And someone might say, well, it's wrong to hurt other people. Well, if you were truly living your life, you would have no interest in hurting other people or even taking advantage of them. Yeah. You'd be so busy growing yourself and marveling. Or manipulating them. Yeah. So when we see that, insensitive people in the world, uncaring people, I see a lot of fear in that. I think people who are mean and indecent and insensitive are using that as a kind of a defense mechanism. I think they're really afraid. But I think if you're practicing, I believe if you're practicing mindfulness, that you will start to see those people coming. You'll start to see those people who don't have your best interest in their heart. And you can then make the conscious decision for yourself whether you're going to get involved with them or not. Be it on a amorous level, a friendship level, a business level, in, in any kind of level, you can then make that decision for yourself. So if you're practicing mindfulness in the space of, hey, I'm living my best life. I'm learning my lessons. I'm evolving in the way I need to. I have a smile on my face in the morning because I'm not doing anything in that day, the day before, that makes me sad or upset when I go to bed so that I can wake up with a smile on my face and look at myself in the mirror and say, you know what? Dude, I like you. I like you today. You're good. We're good. We had a great day yesterday, and today we're going to have a great day with understanding where I want to go, what's in my heart, what words are going to come out of my mouth, what intent I'm putting out into the universe, you know, and, and, then, and then choosing the people, choosing, you know, the, the big uh, 
mm, cliche word uh, from years ago, finding your tribe, finding your tribe, finding those people that gel with you, that mesh with you, that, that appreciate you, that love you, even though you have fallen down and have fallen down several times, maybe finding those people. I think we've all got these uh, ego-based negative voices in our heads. If I examine my intrusive thoughts, the ones that seem to, if I'm not busy, focused on a particular task, bubble up on their own. They seem to have their own agenda. A lot of them are really negative and watch out for this and look out for that and so fear-based and so full of anxiety, and that includes a lot of self-loathing. Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you're not smart enough. Maybe nobody really likes you. Uh, Maybe you don't deserve it. Maybe you can't handle it. Maybe if you did get it, you'd screw it up anyway. You know, you, you talked about fear of failure, and I think there's a lot of fear of success, which is just a variation on the theme that, Well, if I was successful, I'd screw it up sooner or later anyway because I I don't really deserve it. What is this voice or chorus of negative voices in our heads, in your work, in your frame of reference? How do you look at that nagging uh, set of intrusive voices? Uh, We have to dive in, and it's it's really a technique I call root digging. And so we dive in and we find, like, we go through experience after experience after experience to find the root. What was the first experience that happened that planted that seed and then let that seed grow? And then we find what our part, we discover what our part in that seed was. You know, was it something that we let happen to us? Was it something that we had no control over? And sometimes we feel like, okay, I let that happen. Or I'm ashamed that I let that happen. Or this is what I was taught. Um, and, and, and then we do the work to pull that seed out, to pull those roots out. We fill the hole because, you know, when you pull a plant out of the ground, what happens? There's like a little bit of a dent in there, right? We fill the hole with learning. Okay, we don't leave that dent in there because, you know, you could trip it up, trip over it. You can plant some other thing in there. So what we plant in there is some good learning. How did this happen? Why did it happen? Who was involved? Okay, what was my part in it? Again, we have to own, we have ownership. We have to take responsibility. Even if it's something that happened to us, we have to understand what, what it was. And then we put some good learning in there. How do I not do this again? How do I evolve from this? Okay. What was the real, what's my real fear? We're talking about fear. What's my real fear? Cause sometimes we can cover that up with, Oh, I'm afraid of success. Okay. Well, why are you afraid of success? And then a few times I've discovered through clients, they're afraid their family won't really love them. They'll love them for the money and not for themselves. Okay. That's a real fear. I've had a couple of clients over the years who realized, not because I told them, but because the work we were doing allowed them to realize that they were inhibiting their prosperity and abundance because they didn't want to be more successful than one or both of their parents. They felt that they would shame their parents if they were too successful. 
And it reminds me of like teenagers who play small to fit in. They don't want to be the A student, you know, or too nerdy or too smart. So they, they mimic slackers. So they'll be more, <laughs> more popular. But we can't live a life like that. That's, that's going to leave us really unfulfilled. And, and that's a real thing. That, that fear that you were speaking about, that's a real fear. If I'm more successful than my parents, my parents won't love me. My parents will resent me. Um, if I'm more successful than my friends, I will lose my friends. You know, and so that's where we talk about finding your tribe. If you're successful and your friends are really your friends, they will stay with you. If they're not your friends, life has this way of moving people out of the way and then your tribe will find you. Sometimes I talk about being happy for no reason. And I've done presentations on the topic and given it a lot of thought. How do you feel about that? Do you think we make a mistake if we believe we need reasons to be happy? Um, I do. And, and here's, here's an example. When I go for walks, I love hiking. I love hiking. Sometimes I love challenging hikes too much. Uh, I've hurt myself a couple of times. Um, but I love hiking. I love being out in nature. This is my being happy for no reason, where you run across the most beautiful tree you've ever seen in your life, and you just stop and enjoy it. Um, where you run across the most beautiful uh, spreading of flowers, and you just stop and touch them and enjoy That's happiness for no reason. Just because you stopped and you literally enjoyed that moment to its fullest. You weren't looking for it. it. just happened. And you were mindful enough to stop yourself and just enjoy it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing. T- taking your friend out to a cup of tea because they're having... Uh, they're having a bad day. I like tea, not coffee. So that's why I always say tea because they're having a bad day. And then you sit and talk to them and somehow, some way your words made such an impact that they were able to smile at the end of it. And you sat and just enjoyed that moment. Or even it wasn't your words. It was just the kindness that you put out to take the time with them. And that made them feel better and smile, and you're enjoying that moment. You know, it's so easy to be kind, and the rewards and the benefits of being kind. Abundant. But just so extraordinary. I don't know why it doesn't occur to us to let go of our anger and our frustration, our road rage, for example, and our fears, and... Be kind, just as we're talking about being happy for no reason. How about being kind for no reason? For no reason. And it comes back to you. It comes back to you in droves. Sometimes we don't see it because our expectation of kindness is X, and we may be getting Y. But if we practice mindfulness and open ourselves up, then we understand somebody else's version of kindness. And that's okay. It can't be our way 24-7. We can't say to the universe, I want to practice kindness through X, and that's the only way I'm going to practice it, and that's the only way I'm going to receive it. You're going to miss out on so much. 
Well, this brings up the whole concept of forgiveness as well. Like, I think there are many times in the lives of most people where they feel that because they've, they're, they're judging other people that, well, they don't deserve my kindness. Well, wait a minute. Who's the wizard here? How about if without even judging whether they deserve it or merit your kindness, you're just kind anyway, that can alchemically work its own magic and suddenly they are the person that you wished that they were. You suddenly see this side of them because you initiated the kindness without considering whether anybody deserves anything. You just do it for yourself. It's like compassion. Uh, I had a discussion with somebody the other day about when people treat you badly, if they're mean and insulting, you know, have some compassion for them. They may be suffering in ways you don't understand. And the reflexive response I got from this person was, well, they don't deserve my compassion. I'll save my sympathy for those who merit it. Well, they don't need your sympathy. <laughs> yeah, you also you're, you're you're correct. You also don't know what somebody's been through. You don't know why they're being angry. You don't know why they're being mean to you. You don't know what they've been through through that day. You, you may come across somebody who's really angry and mad at Starbucks, and and you don't know why they're being rough. But you don't know that two hours before they just wrecked their car, and they're trying to figure out in their head how to come back from that. I've done that in traffic. If somebody cuts me off and I feel road rage coming on, I tell myself, maybe they have a sick child in the back seat rushing to the hospital. You don't have any idea. Or, or yeah, as you say, maybe a close friend just died and they're grieving horribly. You just don't know. Yeah. When we hear the admonitions to not judge, I think that's what, that's about not judging. You don't learn anything about yourself from judging other people. No, not at all. When I teach classes and, and I used to do them in person. Um, and then we had COVID COVID land. We're in COVID land and I had to pivot and figure out, okay, how am I going to keep teaching, but I can't be in person. And so I started doing these uh, zoom classes or Microsoft teams or Skype only lets you have a few in, but anyway, so I always welcome people to class. Because I am glad that they're there, truly from my heart. If you're here, it's because you want to learn something. The first rule is honesty. We need complete honesty. I need you to be completely honest with your answers. It's not just for me. It's for yourself. You're here to learn, and we need you to learn something about yourself. And the only way you're going to get to that is being, by being honest. The second rule of class is no judgment. We are not here to judge each other. Some people, we all have different lives. We all come from different backgrounds. What happened to me may not have happened to you, may not have happened to Bob, may not have happened to Susan. Susan has her own experiences, but it's not for us to judge that. So if we can sit in this zone and be completely honest with our answers and have passed no judgment on each other, we're going to have a free and open class. I have to tell you, I'm the queen of tears. More often than not, there are breakdowns in my classes. I've learned to have tissues on hand. because, And we can get to that space because we're practicing those two rules. 
you know, and it's a beautiful place because, you know, people are empathizing, people are having compassion. People are saying, yeah, I didn't go through that. I went through this, but wow, you really faced a lot. And, and then the other person says, yeah, so did you, you know, I'm feeling for it's, it's a beautiful space, but we're, we're driving to evolution, self-evolution. Monica, I can't believe it. We're, we're almost out of time here. How can folks find out more about you? I know you've got some books. You've just moved from Los Angeles, but as we speak today, you're back in Los Angeles. I guess most of us are doing online stuff now. How can people get more information about the work you do? I'm the founder and CEO of the Exceptional Life Institute. So you can go to www.exceptionallifeinstitute.com. Long URL, sorry, but I had to have the whole name. And uh, look at... uh, you know, some programs that we have, the classes. I just released online the, one of the courses that I was teaching in person, but again, we had to pivot. So it's online. The Relationships Evolved Forging Bonds at Last course. Um, if you want a better relationship, start there. It will really show you a lot about yourself and help drive you to that most perfect relationship that you want. Um, my books are, the first one is Universe 101, Learn, Grow, Evolve, that's the primer book, you guys. It's really to for you to understand the, the principles of the universe. And if you follow these principles, life is going to start becoming a little bit easier, maybe a little more happier, uh, which is which is always great. And then, um, yeah, I don't know, online. Uh, I also sing and uh, and make music. So if you want to follow me on Instagram at Monica Ortiz Music, if you're into music and healing music, you can follow me there. But yeah, just, uh, you guys, I'm here to help you live your best life, to help you find yourself, to help you self-educate yourself. Monica, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. I've really enjoyed our chat. Let's stay in touch. Maybe we'll do this again down, uh, down the road a piece. Michael, it was great being on your show. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for for having this mutual conversation with me. I've appreciated it so much. And yes, I would love to speak to you again. Thank you, Monica Ortiz. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Again, this program is podcast. It takes a couple hours after the broadcast on Tuesday, and then it'll be posted to all podcatchers. We post on YouTube as well. And it streams on demand at the webpage, theagelesswisdom.com. I want to thank you for joining us and hope you make it a habit to be with us every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock on 90.7 KPFK in Los Angeles. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner from Los Angeles on KPFK.